eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Greetings. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. So last week, we had a three-time NASCAR champion in Tony Stewart. In this episode, we'll talk to a six-time Sprint Cup champion in Jimmy Johnson. This has been an interesting year for Jimmy. By most drivers' standards, with two victories locking him into the playoffs, it's been a decent season. But Jimmy's standards aren't those of any ordinary driver, and this hasn't been a normal year for him or Hendrick Motorsports by any stretch. It's often been a struggle. And Jimmy is fairly candid during the podcast about this being the toughest season for the organization in his 15 seasons at Hendrick. As always, though, we didn't focus all of the conversation about what's happening on track. We also talked about Jimmy's family and their summer in Aspen, Colorado, how he squeezes in 32-mile bike rides between practice and qualifying, and the work he puts into hosting charitable events such as his 5K run that's connected with his foundation. As we did with Tony Stewart, we also talked a little about what's ahead after racing for Jimmy Johnson. He turned 40 last year, and I think you'll hear that he has put a lot of thought into life after NASCAR, which comes as no surprise to me. I've always said that Jimmy doesn't get enough credit for being a thinker, and I think you'll hear some of that come across in this podcast. As always, we appreciate you listening. If you're hearing us via iTunes, please leave a rating or review or please subscribe or have your friends subscribe. It really helps us out. There are many other options for finding us. Audioboom, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. We generally have episodes every Wednesday. If you are subscribed on iTunes or elsewhere, you won't miss an episode. A brief programming note that NASCAR America returns daily this week on NBCSN. It's usually on at 5 p.m. NBCSN also is the place for NASCAR coverage of Sprint Cup qualifying, the Xfinity race, and Sunday's Sprint Cup race at Michigan. All of those this weekend on NBCSN. And a reminder that all of our NASCAR coverage always is available for streaming via the NBC Sports app. You can download that to your tablet or smartphone or watch on your laptop. So let's get to this conversation with Jimmy Johnson. Just to set the scene, we taped this on August 5th, 
at Watkins Glen International in one of many rooms in that track's media center that are covered with photos of yesteryear. And one of those photos happened to be directly above us. So Jimmy's eye was caught by an image of Emerson Fittipaldi, who is in a Marlboro team McLaren uniform. It wasn't Penske, as you'll hear me say. Fittipaldi actually raced 11 times at the Glen in Formula One. So seeing Fittipaldi sparked some thoughts for Jimmy, and that's where our discussion begins. Jimmy, thanks for being here. And I, you've already taken notice that we're, <laughs> we, we also are being joined by Emerson Fittipaldi here in the uh, Watkins Glen Media Center where we're taping this uh, at the moment. I it's guess that cool was Penske. Pick. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, obviously um, know of Emo and his uh, amazing career in all types of open wheel cars. Um, I remember watching him at Penske in an Indy car. But some of these old picks like this, I don't know if that's Indy or Formula One. Yeah. looks old enough to be a Formula One pick. Um, but I'm great friends with his daughter and then his son-in-law, Max Pappas. So to see a, an old picture of Emo is, is really cool. Um, I don't know, just a little flashback, I guess. Yeah, it is cool. I, I presume, I mean, it looks like it's Penske, like Marlboro Team Penske colors, I think. It does. Um, and he looks like he'd be in that 80s stage of his career. That um, hair is jamming, right? Yeah. <laughs> He's got a mop Why up don't there. you ever grow your hair out like that, man? Man, I, I don't know. <laughs> He's got a big forehead like I do, so I guess I could. Um, I usually get to a certain point and, and think it's working against me, but I, I guess I haven't gone far enough. <laughs> do you? Uh, so you mentioned um, Max Pappas is his son-in-law. Yeah. And so you have a friendship with Max. Do you ever talk to him about like th- those days or what he knows? Or I mean, he has an IndyCar career and probably talks to emo about those days i mean yeah max max for sure um you know max some i guess but tatiana is uh you know emo's daughter um and max's wife spent plenty of time chatting with her and uh you know just the upbringing of a, a father that was racing around the world and the travel that went with and yeah time in brazil and and um you know now they're in, in florida and, and tatiana was in florida for a long time um, I believe I'm still down in, in that area, somewhere near Miami. But, uh, you know, I've, I've, it's been fun to learn more about him through her and, and really what their lifestyle was like. And some of those conversations were uh, prior to uh, Shane and I having kids. So I guess there was some curiosity huh. in there, too, about right. how her life. You know, How does it work when you're traveling with a family? Yeah, for sure. So it, it's uh, and, and we usually see Emo down at um, the Homestead Race. So. Um, it's been a couple of years since I've seen him. I hope he's doing well. And I've seen his name recently as one of the stewards in a Formula One race. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's still ever present in the in the racing world. But yeah. uh, I haven't seen him personally in, in a while. No, that's cool. So I guess like when you were growing up and watching IndyCar, that would have been probably your early, mid, late 80s around the time that he was winning the Indy 500. So you probably have yeah. some memories. Yeah. Memories for sure, knowing that he was a Formula One driver. Um, I remember a big crash at, I think, Fontana. Was it? I think it might have been. In one of his final races, yeah, uh, at Fontana, a huge wreck in like turn four or something. Um, but yeah, no, you know what's so cool is, is I grew up a big IndyCar fan, and um, knowing that somebody you know came from the world stage to to the then kart series, right, was, right, right. I thought big for racing here in the U.S. and you know the fact that our uh, our you know, U.S. born drivers could compete in these teams. Right. Um, was really cool. I remember Nigel Mansell coming exactly. in. Exactly. I was about to say that was sort of the trend yep. 20, 25 years ago where you had that crossover where Formula One winners, champions would consider 
coming here yep. to race in IndyCar. And he came here with that. Mansell came with that awesome, cool um, Tom Selleck mustache and kicked everybody's <laughs> butt for here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those were the days. So at the risk of, of being labeled a complete shill, um, the first question I have for you and the first thing, topic I want to talk to you about, I, I'm saving the harder stuff for, for cool. later, of course. But um, the first thing I wanted to say was I ran your 5K for the first time back in May. Yep. And like, like no joke, like I've done probably a half dozen of them, Jimmy. And that was the most like efficient, well run. Like I love the, the, the printouts with the timestamp. Sure. My wife loves the um, crepe station and all the stuff <laughs> yeah. you guys had. So uh, like my first question, I guess, is just like, I, I know you guys have been doing that event for a while, but like your name's on it. Uh, how much, how much ownership do, do you take in that? And, and how do you, how do you get involved with an event like that and, and make it come off and be so well run? Cause I, I just really thought that was, it was really impressive how you guys handled things. No, I, pr- I appreciate it. And I think, um, you know, more than anything, I've tried to create an event that I know I want to run in. And then one that my wife will be entertained while I'm busy. And so will mm-hmm. my kids. So uh, with that, <laughs> we've been able to find great partners, great donors. Um, you know, our, our office does a phenomenal job of running the Jimmy Johnson Foundation. Um, great partnerships with the people that, that put on the time in and scoring. And, and some of that stuff costs a bit more. Right. But, you know, I just there's a certain level I want the events to come off at um our, our winners bags are are phenomenal um and i think that's why we end up with all these crazy fast people that show up there's that one guy that ran like a 14 right 14 and a half minute 5k which is just mind-blowing right um so you know we, we work hard to really uh, put the right pieces in place and and again just from an experience standpoint um you know I race a lot. So to go to Shani and say, Hey honey, let's go to a couple more races. And by the way, I'm going to be on foot or on a bike. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like I, I need to have a certain experience. So I know my family's going to want to come and participate in, and uh, we have kids areas with, um, you know, balloon makers and all kinds of stuff. Just trying to keep, keep everybody occupied and busy. Yeah. You had the whole kids race, I think. Yeah. After. The fun run after. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so you had that, whose idea was the, like the crepe station and all the different places you can go for various food and yeah the uh the relationships really came through training in town i mean the the crepe station is a a guy that i met um in the training group that i I work with in in charlotte i work with a my coach's name is jamie on and try on performance and he has swim bike and run scheduled during the week and there was a a cycling class that he used to participate in quite a bit and uh, when the weather wasn't as, as good and he didn't want to be outside and i met a guy there that um, does the crepe thing and yeah. he comes and sets up his crepe station. Then Max barbecue, um, comes in and supports. And the two of the, the owners of Max are also in that same cycling class that I would attend on Tuesdays and became great friends with them. And they saw what we were doing and said, Hey man, can we drag a trailer out and smoke some food and pass out food? I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> just, it's funny how relationships steer you. And, and it's really just been networking and training with people in the Charlotte area. And you guys have had that, is that the the fifth year you guys have done that or um i think the 5k we're on our third year our third year yep. okay okay and it's obviously part of you know your hat. fourth year third or fourth year something like that i should tell people you're wearing your uh jimmy johnson foundation 10th anniversary hat i know that the car you're driving here at Watkins Glen this weekend is also yeah. honoring that as well and that's all part of it's obviously a foundation uh, event um what what uh again i guess like how much personal involvement do you 
can you have in all this stuff when you when you've got this this race car side of things because like it just it occurred to me like after that after running it that like i mean i don't have anything with my name on it where if things go wrong or if you know if for some reason somebody's not satisfied not that anybody wouldn't be because again that 5k yeah. is phenomenal but like it's not like there's some degree of risk there but like i mean it, it's it's i for for me for for people like me who don't have the ability to to brand events like that it's something we probably don't really think of but you probably have to think about like how much how much ownership i guess do you have to have in something like that to make that brand yeah. reflect you and, and work well man in the non-profit space or in the charitable space you know if it's not something you're passionate about one the cause that you're supporting or two the event you're putting on you know people see through that and not that that's you know been my motivation but i think it it solidifies uh kind of the point you're making and the involvement we have and and i've i've been able to uh, uh, find things that i'm passionate about and then build charitable events around it Right. Um, I was in this big golf craze prior to kids and, and loved to get out and play, although I really never shot better than a 92 was my all-time low round. Um, then obviously the um, the golf dynamic for fundraising is a very, very successful one. Mm-hmm. Um, so we still have our golf tournament and it, it wasn't hard to make time to try to get better at my golf game or go to Torrey Pines for golf or whatever right. it was because it was kind of in my passion wheelhouse. Right. And the same thing for fitness when we wanted to expand and start in uh, start fundraising in North Carolina, you know, I just wanted to find a cause that I, not a cause, but a, an event that that felt right in, and maybe it was different. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of great golf tournaments in the Charlotte area. Um, there really isn't a wellness challenge. And with my newfound interest in fitness, it was, I was heading down that road and it was very easy to um, brainstorm and then also look at some new opportunities. You know, we're with the golf tournament. Yes, we're in a different space than, than racing and, and made some new relationships. Uh, same thing with the, the fitness side. Um, we've been able to secure pin mutual sponsorship for uh, the three years for the, the wellness challenge. I've um, been able to work my way into some athletic brands and then just find new folks to do business with and work with. So, yeah. um, and then at the end of all of that, we're, we're raising a bunch of money that we're still distributing to the three areas that the foundation donates to. And you guys have raised, did I see 8 million? 8.8 so far. Uh, uh, over 10 years. Yeah, over wow. 10 years. And there's, you know, obviously we've got some more fundraising to do this year. So uh, I know that number is going to be going up. Does that exceed what you had anticipated reaching in terms of your goal for a decade out? Or did you have a goal or? Yeah. I mean, mind, mind boggling. I mean, we've had golf tournaments um, in the eight, $900,000 mark for fundraising at one event. Um, you know, Kyle Petty and, and Patty Petty challenged Cheney and I 10 years ago. So look, if you, if you start a foundation, I promise you it'll blow your mind. Huh. And they were so right. Yeah. As soon as we got aligned and, and we you know, had our, um, you know, nonprofit papers in line and, and started pushing a, a cause in a direction, sponsors, fans, um, everybody got behind us. And we were always doing charitable things prior to, but just scratching the surface and more volunteering. And then to be able to give so much money back now is uh, just mind blowing. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I obviously did some research for this and going back through Twitter, it seems like there's two things on the Jimmy Johnson social media front these days. It's it's charity foundation work and giveaways and, and raising awareness and doing all the great stuff there. But the other thing is also uh, family life. And are you pretty much spending the entire summer in Aspen? Is, is, is that pretty much the plan? <laughs> I or? would if I could. We're, okay. we're back now. Um, we, okay. We've, we have a place out there. And, 
We spent a large part of the winter, a large part of last summer there, and in really kind of the first half of this summer there. Uh-huh. Um, I just I love the mountains, and I've, I've always enjoyed it from a winter perspective. And many of my friends that live in, in mountain areas would say, you think the winter's great, you've got to check out the summer. So uh, we have we have been. It led to us you know, wanting to have a presence in Colorado. Um, if I could make it work, I, I'd be there full time. I mean, yeah. it's just it's just such my speed, such my place. Huh. Um, but clearly, a lot of things to manage. I have my my career, kids in school, which you know we'd have to figure that piece out, and then Shani with her her art gallery. So um, you know, Colorado is definitely always on my mind. I, I wish I was there. And I see that you guys are you and Shani and Evie and Lydia are kind of gallivanting around the camouflage polaris razor is that what i've seen <laughs> I mean, the guy's gotta have his toys you know? <laughs> my garage there it's just a small single car garage and it is packed so i had to get a, uh, a storage unit nearby to alternate winter and, and summer toys um <laughs> yeah it, it's it's fun and i told her you know i needed a uh some kind of vehicle so we could go fishing yeah um, there's lots of lakes around and kind of had her sign off on on the fact that we needed some kind of off-road vehicle to take the family fishing yeah. she had no idea what what i really had in mind and when it pulled up and was unloaded off the trailer she just looked at me <laughs> and shook her head so <laughs> <laughs> nice um so evie just turned six yes. i think right and lydia is three so is this have we entered like the phase of these are now the johnson summer family vacations that you guys are going to be taking together i guess now that they're at that age yeah they're they're at a great age um you know we're uh, we love to travel we love to go places um, outside of the U.S. even. And that's something we haven't done in a few summers. I know it's it's kind of high on our list to uh, to do. It's just so hard to take young ones and travel that far. So it's really kind of put the brakes on things. But sure, any chance we can be in Colorado, we're going to take it. Um, you know, and then out west, there's still so much to see out there. I've never been through the Redwoods. Huh. Um, I've been up through Northern California a little, really just driving up to Seattle for off-road racing that I did. But um, Northern California, Oregon, Washington, there's so much to see out west that we haven't really been around. So um, you know, there's definitely a lot of adventures we have we have in mind once kids get just a, just a little bit older, especially Lydia. She's right on the edge of, of being able to handle all that stuff. Yeah, fully appreciate it. I, it surprises me that you're an outdoors guy, Jimmy. Is this is it is it a, a thing that developed after you started going running and biking? Has it become you've developed more of an appreciation? Or maybe has this been a side of you that, I would, that myself, others might not have been aware of that you always like the outdoors. Yeah, I've, I've always loved it. I mean, growing up in, in San Diego, we were so close to um, some local mountains to ski. Um, the deserts were nearby if it was Arizona, Nevada, uh, Mexico. And then my whole off-road you know, stretch of time, um, really, really back to my motocross days, I mean, all we did was camp. Right. Um, camp at my local motocross track and race on you know, camp Saturday night, race Sunday. Right. Uh, Winter time, we'd be in the local deserts camping for days and weeks on end, depending on the weekend. Um, you know, then the off-road days down in Mexico racing quite a bit and still lots of camping and, and various desert situations. So it's been there. Um, I guess maybe since I've lived on the East coast and I'm at Shanty up in New York, it maybe skewed a little metropolitan for a while there, but yeah. there's, uh, there's still a lot of, uh, and then my wife's from Oklahoma. So what's funny is to watch her transition from, uh, you know, being, in, in, in New York, she can be that New York girl if she needs to, or she put on her her plaid shirt and boots and, and get dirty too. So it's been it's been a fun fun thing to experience both sides of it. What do you guys like doing most around Aspen? Uh, for me, uh, I mean, just 
we, we don't even start a car. Like we ride bikes everywhere into town, ride the kids to camp on bikes. I'll tow Lydia in the trailer while Evie rides her own bike. Um, you know, we're just, we're, we're together and we're active. Uh, televisions aren't on iPads aren't out. Right. Uh, we play board games. Like it's, it's a good flashback to maybe the way we grew up and, and how comfortable we were to let our kids go outside and to be outside. Um, Charlotte's a wonderful city, but you know, we live on, near some popular roads and we don't let the kids roam around uh, sure. on bikes like we do in Colorado. So, uh, there's, there's a family piece there that that's really amazing for us. Huh, that's cool. But as you mentioned, obviously your, your full-time job is racing and you can't live in Colorado all the time because you're, you're on the road, you're out here and, uh, they're traveling with you here. Um, I wanted to ask you a little about th- this season and I guess starting with this, I was looking back through some interviews I did with you and uh, like three or four years ago, we were talking about how you'd grown comfortable, like with your voice in NASCAR, particularly after, after the five championships after 2010. And you said that, um, you'd recognize the power that you'd accumulated, um, even though you've been a little bit cautious of it in the past, having a voice in the garage and NASCAR truck, the media, you, you said it was never the way that you were the guy to talk, but you kind of had grown into that role of not just keeping your head down and working all the time, kind of like taking a bigger picture yeah. look. Um, so this year you're on the driver's council. Yeah. Uh, has that changed for you, like the way you kind of voice your opinion? Because you have been more, I think, outspoken since winning the championships, but now you have like this... I guess, defined moment when you're going to talk to NASCAR to yeah. address that stuff. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the council has given us, you know, any member and then even the drivers period of a, a more comfortable forum to communicate and to have open dialogue with NASCAR. Um, not only are there the driver council meetings for the, those six individuals, I think it is, mm-hmm. um, but there's also group sessions where all the drivers are invited and it's open, open forum. So, uh, the sport is changing, the world is changing, and I'm definitely more comfortable uh, saying what 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 I feel. I, I really try to make sure that I understand the full picture. Um, I've been cautious in the past because it's very easy to just see the world through your team's eyes. Mm-hmm. And even when I would put on my unbiased hat and try to share opinions at times, you know, we were very dominant then, and people would instantly have a knee-jerk reaction like oh well it's just going to benefit you you're just worried about yourself right no, it's, it's not how it works so right and, and a lot of it was just the climate we didn't have this open forum to to talk and now it's evolved into this um you know i, I enjoy being on the the, the council I've learned a lot I've built some um, even better relationships with the drivers that are on the council and i share that time with the council uh nascar and and even team owners i mean i've sat in on, uh, I haven't been to an RTA meeting, but I've talked more openly to owners than I ever have. Huh. And then I've sat in on competition meetings, uh, driver's council and the competition committee actually, um, have been together and talking about the 17 package. So, uh, it, it's been a great experience and I have a much more global sense of what everybody's dealing with. Right. And there isn't a silver bullet to fix a, a variety of issues that are going on in our sport, but I see a lot of people that care and a lot of hard work going into this to try to make it right. Um, and now I understand the sensitivity to things when when they don't go as planned. Right. There's a lot that goes into this stuff. Right. And then when it doesn't go exactly as everybody wants, it's like... There's like a ripple effect that a ripple occurs effect. whenever you do something. Yeah. And it's so easy to, to sit there from an uneducated standpoint and be like, oh, well, you should have done this. Or, well, that's wrong and it should have been that. Right. But when you're, in, when you're in all these meetings and you see what they're trying to balance, what everybody's trying to balance, um, you're much more sympathetic. And I, I wish 
that this stuff existed 10 years ago, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. um, because I, I think drivers would avoid shooting, you know, shooting the sport in the foot or, or maybe reacting as they do at times. Yeah. What's the biggest um, example of that that you've seen? Like something maybe you didn't think about that a team owner told you about or showed you and said, hey, we couldn't do this because of that. Yeah, I guess um, really trying to understand the budget standpoint. Um, you know, we made a, a good change. We have the 16 package that's uh, that statistically, um, I think visually, and then from behind the wheel, the driver's support has, has been better racing than 15. Yeah. And as we're looking to move to 17, team owners aren't very excited or eager to change much. Yeah. Um, so the way we went about reducing um, speed in the cars was this is, I don't know if it's going to make sense to a lot of people, but the rear end alignment under the car, they allow us to have a certain amount of skew where the right rear is back and the left sure. rear is forward. Right. So in, instead of changing the shape of the car, there's a big group discussion. And, and I think Travis Geisler from uh, Penske suggested, why don't we just take skew out of the back of the car? You guys think you want side force eliminated. That'll take a bunch out. And we don't have to hang a new body on the car. All we do is put a smaller spoiler on, take skew out of the back. Let's see how it works. Mm-hmm. So that, that was a good compromise. Um, the drivers were more in line with, all right, let's take the the, the uh, bumper rear bumper cover. It's to the right in position right now. Let's move back to the left. Hmm. Well, now you're going to have to completely change bodies and cars and all this stuff, which would have been a massive undertaking. And collectively, Travis mentioned something pretty simple. It's like, hey, let's just do this, and we'll find out before we start cutting cars up. So that, that was... That was a nice compromise between all the all the councils to to find a solution and try to get some track time. Yeah, that's a really good example too of like a, you're not going to think of that when you're just looking not at, at a all. car and just know like all the different components and like the ways that that all sort of fits together. Exactly. That's interesting. I wanted to ask you about your relationship with with Matt Kenseth. I heard you say that at New Hampshire, between practice and qualifying, you guys went on a 32 mile bike ride. Yep. How do you do that? <laughs> do you guys plot that out ahead of time or do you just like just pass each other in the garage and say, hey, we got a three hour break. You want to go ride for 32 miles and see what happens? Uh, yeah, I mean, it. it's kind of grown into uh, um, to what it is. I mean, first of all, on a traditional weekend, the time from the end of practice to qualify, I think we have like a four and a half, five hour window. Right. And you can get a lot done in that right. period of time. So we completely debrief and do our thing find a loop and ride and come back and shower and clean up and get ready for qualifying. There's just a lot of time there. But, uh, you know, Matt's shown an interest in cycling, um, mountain biked with him a bunch in Charlotte prior to uh, him getting a road bike and coming out on these rides on Saturdays. Really most, we mainly have a big ride on Saturdays. The, a lot of the mechanics from the garage area put together a ride and we'll ride to wherever their hotel is and and use as much daylight as we have and and make our loop. But, uh, you know, just the, the desire to get stronger and better and, and really the desire to get out of the ding motorhome. Yeah. Um, he's been doing it longer than I have, and I'm on my 15th season and those walls come closing in. And yeah, you, yeah. You just, you yeah. need a change of pace. So to get out and pedal in these countrysides, it's gorgeous. I mean, I was out this morning in road 27. Um, it's just, <laughs> and gotta, gotta don't get out look and go. a day worse for the wear, but well, thank you. I mean, I've definitely put in the time and, and have really worked hard on, on my fitness and nutrition and hydration. And I have a whole week that, you know, I kind of plan around the weekend knowing I'll have a big Saturday ride. Might have a little time Friday. Right. Um, usually get my swim and run stuff done. 
when I'm in Charlotte or around a pool and, and have access to that. And when I get to the track, pools are hard to find out here in Watkins Glen. Right. No, unless you want to jump <laughs> in the lake and it's pretty cold. So, uh, you know, I just strategically lay out my week. Matt's now a regular and we kind of plan it out in a big factor that plays into our opportunity to ride if our families are coming or not. Right. So I think his family's with him this weekend, so I'm not sure he'll, he'll have a chance to pedal. Okay. Oh, well. This is going to seem strange to say to a guy with two wins who's seventh in points and you're locked into the chase, but has this been maybe your toughest season in some ways? Because I feel like it's it, it's not just I – mean, it's Hendrick has clearly struggled a little bit on track compared to like where Penske and Gibbs are. You've got the Dale Jr. news over the last month that I'm sure has created some um, – uncertainty in in some ways there was the Stuart Haas news at the beginning of the year it just seems like there's been so much to like weather or you know all these things sort of compounding and then on top of that like for you I know you talked about before the season started you're kind of in a different role with Jeff leaving where you you become more of I would think like the team leader is the driver what's all of that like what's this season been like I'd say oh five um, 12 in this year are all in a very similar category for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're dealing with our frustrations much better this year than we did in 05 and 12 and just, I guess, older and more experienced. And, you know, the dynamic and the way frustration builds between Chad and myself and understanding where it's coming from. And yeah. it's really not personal, although it's n- never fun and it's easy to take it personally. Um, this time I, I, I'm in a better place. Not that it's easy, not that he and I still don't snap at one another, right? but it, it's still very, very similar. Maybe not the worst, but it, you know, if I look at tough years, I put, I'll pull those three aside and, huh. and say that that's that. Um, from the organization standpoint, I would definitely say since I've been at Hendrick, this is the toughest year and the most that we've had to weather. Yeah. Um, you know, all the points you mentioned then do include Jeff retiring, which is, you know, hard for any company. Um, you know, we we're definitely trying to close the gap and there's a lot going on behind the scenes to, um, to just to be a stronger, more efficient company at Hendrick. Um, then I, another component that's not talked about a ton, you know, the, the SS hasn't had a body update since it came to track right. five years ago now. Right. So the, you know, the other manufacturers have been, I think Toyota's had, three and Ford's had two updates. We can use an update. <laughs> um, Do you feel like that's dragging you guys down a little bit? It, it's definitely a variable. And, yeah. and I think that's why they took all those cars to the wind tunnel last week. And I think that's why we're seeing these things develop now. Um, you know, the, the thing that's probably hurt this happening sooner was the four cars crazy success. Right. Um, you know, last year and especially in, uh, in 14, if they were going to give the Chevys an update, I think everybody would flip yeah. upside down. Say, that no guy way. just led 2,000 laps <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> in two straight seasons. Yeah. And, and I guess we've been that guy in, you know, from 06 to 2010. They're like, right. don't give the Chevys any more help. They're, they're good enough. Right. Um, so, you know, there, there are some variables there and we're, we're digging. We're not happy. It stinks to run, you know, where we have. And we've, uh, we've won two. We wish that our teammates have been, been able to win. Um, we need that to happen. Um, you know, but we're digging deep and I, I feel like there's just too many mistakes going on right now on the 48. I'm making plenty myself mm-hmm. and we, we need to dial back to hundred percent. I think we're all operating over the hundred percent mark and making more mistakes than we need to and uh, creating longer days than we should have. And you said at Indy that like part of that was just pressure, pressing, like, you, yeah. you, and I would think that some of that, and again, you talked about this on the media tour, I got the quote here. You said that 
You thought you'd be talking more to department heads this year that you needed to pay more attention and put your Hendrick Motorsports hat on because, again, with Jeff out, you're sort of looking yeah. more as the leader. Has that unfolded the way you expected? That they, they, they're kind of looking to you for guidance and for, for direction. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, they 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 listen to all the drivers. Plus, um, you know, we still have the relationship with Stuart Haas, and um, the department heads make decisions based on you know the collective group and what what goes on there. Yeah. Um, Plus, I've, I've been asked a, a lot more questions and have sat in on a lot more meetings. And then also being there for my, my, my teammates and trying to be there for Chase and help him, as Jeff did for myself, with experience and knowledge. Um, you know, Casey, Casey's had a tough couple of years and trying to help him, um, you know, shore up his confidence and his abilities and things like that. And then also being there for he and Keith and their relationship. Um, so, that, you know, there's, there's a lot going on. And Junior, Junior and I have always had a wonderful relationship. He's in a place right now that I've never, I've never been injured. I haven't missed right. races. So right. I, I try like hell to help him. I just don't know what to really do because it's a whole different world than, right. than I've ever been accustomed to. Right. And you're also looking at obviously having Jeff back these last couple of weeks. And then as we sit here at Watkins Glen, at least the next two, um, what's it been like to see what he's done? Cause it seems like, I mean, obviously when he asked, when he was asked, he was more than happy to come back, but I think it, he made it also fairly clear that like, it's it's somewhat out of ob- obligation to Rick Hendrick for everything that he's done in for Jeff Gordon in his career. Would, would do you look at what he's doing and think if the team ever asked that kind of obligation from you, would you do that? Like after you had stepped away, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, I you know the hard part is I'm you know, now in my 15th season of doing this. I love racing, and when I hang it up from a full time cup schedule, I'm going to go race other stuff. Really? I just don't want to race 39 times a year right. anymore. And be and a motorhome 39 times a year. The same track, yeah. same place, the <laughs> yeah. same thing, away from my family. Right. And that's just the racing and then the appearances and all the stuff that goes with it. But I love racing. Right. There's nothing else I want to do. Yeah. Um, so if I could have a part-time schedule, um, maybe a Mark Martin type schedule, the way he was able to sort out really? some of that stuff, huh. 100%. But, I mean, you don't want to come back and run in, in a – you want to have a shot to win um, or at least have a shot to do something impactful for a company. Right. Um, so that, that, that would be the, the, the tough thing to do. Yeah. Um, tough situation to find. I think Mark was very lucky. Jeff's return is, is very unique. Um, you know, but to find a part-time gig with a, you know, top level team is going to be a pretty rare situation. What do you want to race, um, when you're done and not doing it 39 weeks a year besides this, I guess once yeah. or twice a year, I, I would love to come back and run some cup races if it was possible. Um, I think there's, amazing that the king is still in the garage area uh-huh. um i think it's amazing jeff gordon's still you know still around on tv level daryl waltrip um i don't like it when you see the sports legends disappear and are rarely around i mean kelly arborough we, we never see the man you know right. and that that's that bums me out that he's not involved more for whatever the reason might be right so i i feel like after the success we've had i still need to have a presence here and, and i want to have a presence in the sport um, but sports car racing has always been interesting to me. The endurance side, the athleticism involved. Um, I'd love to race in the 24 hours of Le Mans someday. I've been in um, Daytona prototypes in the past, trying to kind of prime the, prime the pump on that whole window yeah. of, of opportunity. Um, but then after that, I've, I've certainly enjoyed my fitness side and want to race in a full distance Ironman and go to Kona one day for the world championships there. Um, there's a variety of amazing mountain bike races and cycling races uh, around the country that around the world for that matter that I'd love to go participate in um, at an amateur level. So um, it might be two wheels, it might be swimming, it might be four wheels, but you know, racing's in my blood and that's that's really what I want to do. You've 
clearly thought ahead on this. <laughs> As I've spent more time in the endurance space, there's uh, there's so many cool events. I'm like, man, I wish I could ride that or compete in that. And then, you know, I I think drivers, you get in your 40s, and you start wondering what would I do. I don't know when that day is when I'm going to stop. Yeah. But you're you're nowhere near halfway at 40. I hope. Right. right. So there's there's a lot of runway left. You got to figure out what you're going to do. So I think as I talk to other guys in their 40s, you know, everybody's starting to think, well, what would be next after this? What would life be after this? Yeah. All right. Well, we'll certainly look forward to whatever you're doing outside the car. But in yeah. the meantime, good luck the rest of the Thank season you. and uh, appreciate you being here. Yeah, man. Our thanks again to Jimmy Johnson for joining us. He's among the most successful drivers in NASCAR history, but he also is among the most accessible. And we appreciate his willingness to sit down shortly before getting in the car at Watkins Glen. Thanks as well to Amy Walsh of the Hendrick Motorsports Media Relations Department, which has been a strong supporter of helping secure guests for the podcast. We are greatly appreciative of that. Thanks, as always, to Tess Quinlan for producing the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Tess also got us featured this week on iTunes, which was terrific. You can subscribe to the podcast there for automatic downloads of new episodes. As always, the podcast also is available on Audioboom, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and a plethora of other smartphone apps. Also, check out those places for the NBC Sports Podcast lineup if you enjoyed the Rio Olympics and want to relive some of the games. There's been great content over the past two weeks on the Tara and Johnny podcast and the podcast with Joe Posnanski. Both are worth your time. If you have ideas for guests, suggestions, questions for the NASCAR and NBC podcast, please send me feedback on Twitter, at Nate Ryan. Always interested in hearing what people liked and what else they'd like to hear in the program. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. We appreciate you listening, and we hope you enjoyed it. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.